So we'll continue. We're, uh, there's one final um, wisdom that we'll cover from this section on supplication. So far we've covered knowledge, uh, or at least something pertaining to knowledge. We've covered tawbah and repentance. And then in the afternoon we were covering uh, supplication and dua, uh, and wisdom is behind how to make dua, etc. So uh, this final wisdom that we'll share today um, is very deep. And again, maybe a little heavy, but hopefully we can all take something from it. So Ibn Ata'illah rahmatullahi alayhi says, مَشَّأْنُ وُجُودُ الطَّلَبِ إِنَّمَا شَأْنُ أَن تُرْزَقَ حُسْنَ الْأَدَبِ There's a little bit of rhythm and rhyme, right? We notice this. The translation is, um, the point at issue, shatn, like the, the matter at hand, you can say, is not the existence of searching or seeking. But on the other hand, or, or but rather, the point at issue, or the matter at hand, is only that you be provisioned with virtuous conduct. This is, this is a little bit deep, and so the, I think the commentary will help explain this, because this is in the context of supplication, seeking from Allah, asking from Allah, things like that. The issue is not the existence of searching, but only that you be provisioned with virtuous conduct. So he says, according to the noble hadith, uh, supplication is the essence of worship. So he's tying this in to the hadith of the Prophet in which he says, مُخُّ الْعِبَادَةِ That uh, dua or supplication is at the crux or the core of worship of ibadah. Now when we think about this dua, we've heard, have, we've heard this dua before, dua مُخُّ الْعِبَادَةِ uh, when we think about this dua, we think about it as meaning uh, that this is an essential part of every believer to call upon Allah and ask Him for what he or she needs. That's what we think of when we think of mukhul ibadah. But look at the perspective that uh, Ibn Ata'illah and the commentator uh, mention here. According to the noble hadith, supplication is the essence of worship or dua mukhul ibadah. On account of having heard of this significance uh, of the significance of application. The traveler, the salik, who has not yet, who who has as yet not attained freedom from his ego, thinks that the goal is supplication. In doing so, he he errs. I'll say it again. This dua dua ibadah. On account of having heard of the significance of this supplication of making dua, the salik who has not yet attained freedom from his ego, meaning pe- those of us that are still attached to our nafs. We think that the goal is supplication in and of itself. In doing so, he errs. Right? He errs. Why? There will be contamination of the ego or the nafs as long as the reign of the, of the nafs exists even in the supplication. A person who is driven by their nafs, right? Not, their, not um, something heavenly. They're driven by their inner desires of this w- that, that essentially pursue this world. A person who has... Uh, elements of the nafs that still drives them, there will be contamination of this nafs as long as they still have a nafs even when it comes to the way in which they make dua. It makes sense. I mean, if we have a nafs, it's hard for us to concentrate in prayer because the nafs is going a thousand different directions. If we have a nafs, we don't want to fast. We want to eat because the nafs is desiring the, the, the comforts of this world. If we have a nafs, uh, it's harder for us to um, uh, to stay away from sin because the nafs wants to involve itself in sin. So similarly, even the dua of a person who has a strong nafs is going to be contaminated. Okay? Now, now, now pay attention. 
The nafs will supplicate for its desires and pleasures, and the attention of the heart will be on the need for which the supplication is being made, not on Allah Most High. The person whose heart, who's attached to their own nafs and desires, their focus is on the content of what they're asking Allah for, rather than their attention being on Allah Ta'ala Himself alone. Are you following? So he says, on the other hand, the supplication of the arifin. Now, an arif is someone who, uh, like, knows Allah, and knows Allah. You know, obviously, doesn't mean that we 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 don't know anything about Allah besides what He's told us through His attributes. But someone who truly appreciates the magnificence uh, uh, of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. That's an arif. On the other hand, the supplication of the arifin, people who don't have this nafs that's holding them back and dragging them down. The supplication of the Arifin is undoubtedly the essence of their worship. It's undoubtedly the essence of their worship. It's the essence of their worship because the purpose of their worship is expression of their weakness and dependence on Allah Most High. Right? Notice the difference. Someone whose nafs drives them, when they're making dua, their focus is on what I'm asking from Allah because I'm, that's, that's what I'm used to doing. I'm wanting to fulfill my desires, even if they may be uh, noble, even if they may be noble, still, I'm still thinking about this like a transaction. I'm still thinking, me, 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 me. When the Arifin, who recognize who Allah is, their focus is not me, 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 me. When they raise their hands, their focus is Allah, 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 Allah. And that's what Ad-Du'a'u Mukhul Ibadah means here. It's the essence of worship. Because it's about Allah, it's not about me. And a person who has a nafs is always thinking me and not thinking about Allah. But the people who have suppressed their nafs have annihilated this sense of the self. Their focus is on Allah even when they're making dua. Meaning they're raising their hands now because this is an opportunity for me to interface with the greatest of create with, 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 with the creator of the universe. I mean, think about that for a moment. If I pick up the phone right now and I want to try to reach the president of the country, or I want to try to reach some other famous person that we've heard about or seen on the news or some celebrity that we like, I don't have the ability to even reach them. But they're just a human being. They're an ant just like the rest of us. Right? The analogy of the ants, we're all down here. I still can't reach them. I can't ask them for anything. I can't communicate with them. Uh, no, no, no possibility. And then I have Allah, who's above everything, above all of us, above all of creation, who is um, perfect, who is the complete opposite in the sense that he doesn't need to sleep, he doesn't need to be nourished, he doesn't need to be sustained. He's the one who gives, he's the one who supplies, he's the one who provides, he's the one who is Madikiyaumiddin, the master of the day of judgment. I mean, for me to be able to interact with some Supreme Court justice would be a big deal. The master of all the justices of the world is Allah Ta'ala. And I have the ability to interact with him simply by lifting my hands, and, or even if I don't lift my hands, but let's just, let's just keep it simple. By raising my hands before him and speaking with him, I have the ability to communicate with him. That's incredible. That's incredible. What right do we have to be able to interact with and speak with and converse with the master of the worlds? Not world, worlds. The master of however many universes exist the master of however many galaxies exist, how is it that you and I, simple little ants on the floor, have the ability to interface and interact with this with Allah? It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And the Arif knows this. 
the Arif knows that there's no better opportunity than dua. Not because I get what I want when I ask, not because this is not just because this is the only person who can provide or being that can provide, but because this is an opportunity for me to interface with Allah. Okay, so let me let me let me repeat the commentary. On account of having heard of the significance of supplication, the Salik, who has not as yet attained freedom from his own nafs, thinks that the goal is supplication. Dua is the goal. In doing so, he errs. There will be contamination in, of the ego as long as the reign of the ego exists. As long as I have enough, that's going to contaminate my worship of dua, which is otherwise so pure. The ego, the nafs, will supplicate for its desires and pleasures. And the attention of the heart during this process will be on the need for which the supplication is being made, not on Allah Ta'ala Most High. On the other hand, the supplication of the arif, the arifin, those that are close to Allah and know who Allah is, uh, in, his, in his status and can appreciate him at a deeper level is undoubtedly the essence of their worship. Not because they're chasing what their nafs wants or because of some need or desire they have, but because the purpose of their worship is, the ex- is, is expression of their weakness and dependence on Allah Most High. Maybe for, maybe for me to be able to sit, face the qibla, n- not that we have to when we're making dua, but in the context of an adab, of adab sit, Face the qibla, raise my hands, and tell Allah that I am weak and you are the most high. That's dua. For me to be able to just make that communication and express that uh, to Allah, that's, that's dua. Right? That's the dua of someone that doesn't have enough. Someone with enough raises their hands, request number one. Request number two, I need a new car, I need a new house, I need forgiveness, I need a wife, I need a new job. I need, let me know when I can get this. Um, now, he's going to continue. The ego of the arif, um, but let's just substitute arif for the ego of someone of piety, right? Is annihilated, and his gaze is perpetually on Allah Most High, not on his supplication, which he makes on account of his servitude and the lordship of Allah Most High. That person's focus is now on the fact that I'm able to make dua, and speak with Allah, that's what I care about. The content, less important. Less important. Right? It's a very special state to be in, and you know, hopefully you know, we can at least try to mimic it. Um, it's a very special state to be in. And uh, look, uh, you know, uh, just interacting with people over the weekend, and even in the past, a lot of the questions come up about um, the struggles that people have in their um, interactions with others, whether it be in the form of judging others, whether it be in the form of looking down upon others, whether it be in the form of jealousy toward others. These questions always come up. Um, and that's a sign that the nafs is still there, right? That's a sign that the ego is still there. Um, if I channeled all of that attention of, of whatever and directed it toward interfacing with Allah on a deeper level, that I could care less about what I think about other people and what other people make me feel and how, that's irrelevant. My, the sadiq is focused on Allah. And it eliminates so many of the hardships that come with interacting with people. In fact, it, in, it enriches our interactions with other people. Because now, when I see people, I don't just see a person or some weak servant or some strong servant. I see a, um, a creation of Allah or an expression of Allah Ta'ala's uh, magnificence on this earth. And I begin to appreciate and respect that person and my interaction with them more than just seeing that person for who they are. 
Because now it's all, because now I'm operating on a different level. I'm connected to Allah. All I do is I see Allah and I see Allah in everything around me as well. Everything I see is a reflection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness and it enriches my interactions with people around, with the people around as well. So he says, since the supplication of the non-arif, let's say someone who still has a strong nafs, is for the sake of his ego, the Shaykh Ibn Atta'illah says that, a, that such a supplication does not reflect a beautiful state even though it is good and permissible. So is asking Allah for something um, uh, permissible? 100%. Is it acceptable? Yes. And in, in situa- in, in, contextually, it's permissible and it's good, right? Um, so he's not saying that we shouldn't be doing this at all. He's just saying, he's just comparing the states of the people that, are, that have enoughs and th- those that don't. So since the supplication of the non-arif, someone that has uh, enoughs, is for the sake of his or her ego, the shaykh, rahmatullah says that such a supplication does not reflect a beautiful state even though it is good and permissible. A beautiful condition of the traveler, right, this is, this is deep, a beautiful condition of the traveler, of the salik, is adab. This is about adab. The adab for him is to resign himself to Allah Most High in all his affairs and engross himself in the invocation and spiritual perception of his Lord. It's to annihilate the sense of the self and present myself before Allah and say, Oh Allah, not only um, am I weak and not only are you high, I'm, I don't even know what to ask because I don't know what's best for me. Um, I don't know what's good for me. So you just... Take care of me. I'm just happy that I'm able to interact with you and the blessing that you've given me of being able to raise my hands and make dua to you. When so much of the world has not been given that blessing. The majority of people are not Muslim, are not believers. They don't have the ability, the tawfiq, uh, to be able to raise their hands and interface with Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given that to us. You know, this is, um, the Prophet said in a, said in a dua, uh, sorry, in a hadith, uh, the most uh, virtuous form of dua is Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Now think about it. Alhamdulillah is a statement. It's an expression. All praises to Allah. There's no request being made. There's no request being made. And the scholars mentioned the reason the Prophet is mentioning this is because if we because, well, for a couple of reasons, but the best form of dua is to praise Allah. Because when we praise Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of us. I don't know what I need, and I don't know what's best for me, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know all these things. Yes, I'm going to use some measures and a little bit of research and common sense to make sense of things and ask from Allah. But ultimately, Allah ta'ala knows what's best. The best form of dua is I... Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I say, oh Allah, whatever you decide, whatever is best for me, give that to me. Praising Allah is the best form of dua. Um, because when we praise Allah, we're showing Allah that He is perfect and we are imperfect. And we are showing Allah that He is magnificent and we are weak. And when we, when we display this humility before Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes care of all of our needs, our desires, and everything else in, the, in between. So um, that's the conclusion of, of this. So is it permissible to make dua for the things that we need? Absolutely. And is it good? Of course, in circumstances, it is good. Let's be mindful also that dua al-mukhul ibadah, the bigger, um, 
uh, I, I guess the, the, the value of dua more so than lying in what requests we can make to Allah lies in simply our ability to interface with Allah and call upon Him. That's, that's the bigger deal. And let's not lose fact of that. So when we stand or sit, we make dua to Allah, or in sajda, when we make dua to Allah, um, let's remind ourselves that, you know, let's take time with us. You know, spend a few minutes making dua. Spend a few minutes praising Allah before, re- you know, presenting our, uh, our, our shopping list of what we need from Allah. Um, that's the core of worship. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate and, uh, that in this day and age, uh, dua to us means, رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدِّنْيَا حَسْنَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسْنَا وَقِنَا عَذَابِ النَّارِ Ameen, wipe our face and move on. That's not dua. I mean, yes, there are duas from the sunnah that we should recite because they're from the sunnah. The Prophet told us how to converse with Allah. <clears throat> but dua is the ability to interact with Allah and have a conversation with Allah. Have a conversation with Allah. Uh, if I feel uncomfortable, you know, I... I um, uh, if I feel uncomfortable, if I cannot make dua for more than a few minutes, there's a problem there. It doesn't have to be in Arabic. It has to. Be, it could be in my own language. Whatever, uh, whatever my weaknesses are, whatever my complaints are, whatever my struggles are, displaying them before Allah, even though He knows them, this is dua. So I should make it a point every day to spend some time making dua. Time yourself, three minutes. Maybe you, it takes a little bit of practice. Maybe five minutes. Some people I've seen make du'a for 15 minutes, you know, every single day. So what's there to make du'a for? Yeah, I don't need to ask anything. I can praise Allah. I can thank Allah. I mean, if I just started right now, and I raise my hands, and I say, thank you, Allah, for this, 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 I could go for an hour just thanking Allah for the blessings of today. So make that a part of the du'a. You know, if I thank Allah, Allah will give me more. If I praise Allah, Allah Ta'ala will take care of me. I don't have to ask when I'm making dua. I can even just raise my hands to praise Allah and expect that He's just going to take care of whatever needs I have. And He knows my needs better than I know my own needs. He knows my needs better than I know my own needs. Um, So inshallah, we'll conclude um, this section with that. And um, I will transition over to the next section because there is some, we have until seven. So um, maybe 15 minutes and then we'll open the floor for some questions if anyone has any. Um, actually, l- let, me, um, let me pause here and then if there's any questions pertaining to this dua topic, uh, maybe this is a good stopping point. And then uh, maybe after about 10 minutes, I'll do one more wisdom um, and then we'll, we'll break for dinner, inshallah. So are there any questions? Um, so the question is, um, what are some strategies for conquering the nafs? Um, the nafs likes to consume things of this world. Uh, and the nafs is fed by our eyes and our ears and our, and our mouths. So overconsumption of food, uh, consuming, um, you know, hourless, uh, and, uh, you know, just consuming all the content on our phones and our devices, um, listening to, you know, just sensical, senseless things. These are all things that the nafs really enjoys to do. So a person has to place some restrictions on themselves. Now the sunnah highlights some of this. For instance, the sunnah says that um, you can't that uh, you should fast in the month of Ramadan. That's a perfect tool to suppress the nafs. The sunnah encourages that a person fast, uh, you know, additional days of the month, right? Depending on. Uh, so those are all mechan- ex- perfect mechanisms by which the nafs is suppressed. The sunnah teaches us to prolong our prayer. That's a, that's a, that suppresses the nafs as well because when I'm praying. I can't look around, I can't eat, I can't talk, I can't stare at my phone, I can't do any of these things. So for those periods of time, at least five times a day for let's say 10 minutes at a time, 
I'm suppressing my nafs. The sunnah encourages that I reduce my sleep a little bit and wake up early in the morning for tahajjud or at the bare minimum come to the masjid for fajr. These are all, so these uh, sort of uh, combats with, with our bed and with our devices and with our phones and with our stomachs, these are all ways by which a person suppresses the nafs. And it's all embedded within the sunnah. And all of these things crush the nafs. Yeah, so the question is, uh, you know, is the nafs always so bad? Uh, because what if, like, my nafs is telling me to get a job so that I can support my family? Uh, that's not a nafsi desire at that point. At that point, if my, the nafs does uh, not translate into uh, a particular action. Uh, the pursuit of wealth is not a nafsi thing. The pursuit of wealth to fulfill my own personal desires is a nafsi thing. The pursuit of wealth so that I can help other people, including my family and including uh, you know, the poor and destitute in this world, that's now no longer a nafsi thing. That's a, uh, that's a, that's the, uh, a sign of a devoted heart, actually. That's a sign of a nafs being crushed. If I have a lot of wealth, and now, and now I have the tawfiq to spend it on others rather than on myself, that's not a nafsi thing anymore. That's a noble endeavor. The question is, in salah? Yeah, so th th there's a difference of opinion on when a person can make du'a. In the Hanafi madhab, during a non-fard prayer, you can make du'a in your sajda. Uh, the du'a has to be in Arabic. The du'a has to be something that, you know, it has to be in, in the Arabic language. And you could, you know, recite, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, or any other du'as from the sunnah, you can absolutely recite in your, in your sajda. Um, you can even add du'as when you're sitting in tashahud, you know, at the end, that once you've sent your salat in the Prophet you can add addition, additional du'as at that point as well. Um, so th those are good. But in addition to that, we should also be making du'a that's purely just a conversation with Allah. And that, for the most part, happens outside of salah. In salah, the conversation with Allah is mainly going to be based off of the Qur'an and, and, and hadith. Yeah. Yeah, so the question is, uh, let's say deep down within my heart, I have desires, not desires, but I have needs or things that I need from Allah. I want to take care of A, B, C, D, and E. Um, but at the same time, the pinnacle of du'a is when I'm going to praise Allah, be so appreciative of the opportunity of being able to praise Allah. So am I supposed to sort of fake it to make it or what am I supposed to do in that situation? So a couple of things. One is that it's still good to ask Allah Ta'ala for the things that we need. And the reason, that, but the, uh, the etiquette by which we do so is by being clear with ourselves and with Allah that, uh, oh Allah, I don't know who else to turn to except for you. So I'm turning toward you for these needs because no one can fulfill these needs except for you. And Allah Ta'ala appreciates that. You know, if, if in my heart I think that there's five ways for me to get this thing that I need, one of the ways is Allah. I'm going to try dua, then I'm going to ask dua from someone else, I'm going to ask someone else, and that's a problem. Um, this is why, you know, when, the, when people go for, for, to the haramain, for umrah and hajj and things like that, uh, a lot of times they ask the question, when I go to the Kaaba, should I ask uh, about dunya as well or should I just ask about my akhirah? And the ulama are pretty much in agreement that you should ask for everything over there. Not because you need uh, the dunya, etc., but because we have to appreciate uh, that everything comes from Allah. And if, if we show Allah Ta'ala our full dependence on Him in matters of both dunya and akhirah, uh, that's the sign of, of true adab before Allah. Now, bringing back to your question in particular, um, in general, uh, I should... Um, uh, I, I, you still have to display the adab of dua that's necessary even if your heart is not fully into it. And over time, your heart will follow the action that you display forth. Um, it's, dif it's very difficult to try to chase 
um, uh, try to pursue um, a, a cognition uh, before changing a behavior. This is a general principle. So for instance, if I say I can't concentrate in prayer, so let me wait until I can fix my concentration before I start praying, that's a problem. I go ahead and pray, and I work on concentration on the back end and try to bring it to that. I go ahead and make dua, and then I hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and, and, I, and I mimic the duas of the people of piety, and I hope that this inner state also eventually reaches me as well because I've made this intention and effort toward this. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's beautiful the way you said that because um, when a person has a love for Allah in their heart, um, life changes. Um, and unfortunately, this is not something that's talked about much. And it's not something that's emphasized much within the community. We focus a lot on obedience to Allah, which is important. Uh, and we spend a lot of time focusing on fearing Allah, which is also important. Uh, but we don't spend too much time discussing the importance of having a love for Allah in our hearts. And, um, and that needs to be a focal point for us. Uh, what is it that I can do to love Allah? Because the Qur'an mentions that those people who truly believe, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا With true belief, أَشَدُّ حُبَّ لِلَّهِ Not only do they love Allah, but they're intense in their love of Allah. Ashad is isn't the fleet. It's they're 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 I mean they're very intense in their love of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Um, so that has to be a goal for all of us. That not only should I fear Allah, not only should I be aware of Allah, not only should I be obedient to Allah, but I have to have a love for Allah. Now, how is it that I can actually begin to love Allah? Uh, the first step is to know what he had mentioned Ibn Atayil in the first session is to really look at the attributes of Allah. And when we look at the attributes of Allah, of justice, of mercy, of generosity, uh, of, I mean, they're, they're literally just scattered across the, the, the walls here. You can see them. Um, it really helps us grow in our love for Allah. So that's step number one. Um, and step number two is to be consistent in the remembrance of Allah. Uh, there's no doubt that the best way by which a heart becomes impacted, first of all, where does the where is, what's the seed for the love of Allah? The seed is in the heart. So that focus needs to be on the heart. So I need to fill my heart with the remembrance of Allah. And if my heart is regularly and consistently engaged in the remembrance of Allah, there's no better way to impassion the heart with the love of Allah than with the dhikr of Him, meaning the remembrance of Him in various forms. Muraqaba, istighfar, and whatever other forms they may be. That increases a person's love for Allah. Um, uh, a third way, so one is, one is to learn the attributes of Allah. The second is to um, is to impassion the heart with the remembrance of Allah, and the third, is, and this is essential, is to express gratitude to Allah for the blessings that He's given us. Uh, our mind tends to focus on the negative things that are happening to us at any given point in time. Us, our families, our community, our heart tends to focus on this. Our mind tends to focus on this. I don't recognize, I don't realize that at any given moment, for every one difficulty that's coming my way, there are 99 blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sustaining for me at that exact moment. And I have to appreciate that. And the only way to appreciate that is by expressing my appreciation to Allah for those things. And that impassions the heart with His love as well. Yeah. Um, complaining to Allah, when we're talking about complaint, the question is about complaining to Allah, we aren't complaining to Allah ta'ala about our circumstance or about all the hardships that we have in this world. We are complaining to Allah ta'ala about our own weaknesses. In our du'as. Um, we're complaining to Allah Ta'ala about how we aren't able to 
worship him the, de- the way he deserves to be worshipped. Um, that's what we were talking about complaints. And um, how do I say this? Making dua with Allah is an extremely personal thing. I don't know what your conversation with Allah should look like. But what I do know is that you should be able to have an intimate conversation with Allah. And that applies to all of us. Yes, we know from the sunnah, we know from the people of piety the way to generally make dua. But every single person's conversation with Allah has to be intimate. So it's possible that there are struggles that you're having in life, whether it be because of circumstance or because of situations, etc. And rather than discuss these, or let's say bring these to the attention of people who can't do much for us anyway, we bring these to the attention of Allah, and that's what is also sort of met by complaining. I'm not saying, why, 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 oh Allah, stop, stop this, oh Allah, but it's, oh Allah, you know my struggles. I'm struggling with myself, I'm struggling with my a'mal, I'm struggling with my deeds, I'm struggling with A, B, and C. I'm also struggling because of this test that's before me. I'm also struggling because of the relationships that I'm involved in. I'm also struggling because all of these things. So I'm complaining in a way, but I'm not saying, oh Allah, this is your fault, but I'm presenting my problems to Allah. That's what I mean. And that's something that on an intimate, personal level, all of us should feel comfortable doing. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, so we have about 10 minutes. Uh, we'll cover, um, we'll start the next section and then maybe we'll conclude it later today. Okay, so let's continue. The next section, so we, compl- we completed dua. The next section, the topic is, um, co- the chapter is on companionship. On suhba or on companionship. So there's a few aphorisms or wisdoms from his that we'll take. So we'll cover one right now, inshallah. So Ibn Atta'ala, he says, لا تصحب من لا ينهضك حاله ولا يدلك على الله مقاله he says, do not keep company with anyone whose state does not inspire you and whose speech does not lead you to Allah. Do not keep company with anyone whose state does not inspire you and whose speech does not lead you to Allah. So this general topic of companionship is essential. And we'll, we'll go over the commentary in just a moment. Um, but let me start by saying that of all of the ways by which a person can effectuate change in their lives, the most effective way and perhaps the easiest way is by establishing strong companionship and company. More than anything else that I could tell you, that's the number one take home. That if the, the easiest way by which I can effectuate change is by ensuring that the companionship and the people that I circle, uh, that I have around myself, uh, inspire me. So let's continue. He says, Sheikh Abdullah, he says, the commentary, there is nothing, there is nothing more beneficial for the traveler, the salik. And everyone knows what I mean by a traveler and salik here, right? Or no? The salik is someone who decides that they want to begin their journey, their spiritual path toward a deeper connection with Allah. So he's specifically addressing the salikin. There is nothing more beneficial for the salik then pious companionship. Again, there is nothing more beneficial for the traveler than pious companionship. Now, look, this is coming from Shaykh Abdullah Gunguhi, who was the student of Mulana Khalil Ahmed Suharun, 
who was the student of Haji Imdadullah Muhajir Makki This is a very strong chain of scholarship and of uh, and these are leaders of the, of the um, uh, uh, of spiritual transformation over the last 100 to 150 years or so. So this is this is very fir- this is on very firm grounding and people that had established the importance of suhba and companionship. So he's saying there is nothing more beneficial for the sadiq than pious companionship. Hence the Shaykh meaning Ibn Ata'illah states the principle in this regard so that the traveler the sadiq understands the company that will be beneficial and harmful for him. He says never choose the company of a man who does not inspire you toward Allah. Never choose the company of a man who does not inspire you toward Allah. The state of the companion should be such that his entire attention is focused on Allah. So when I'm choosing a close companion to me, it should be someone who inspires me toward Allah and they themselves have a focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Now, by the way, when we're saying companion here, this doesn't mean like necessarily your friend. It could be in your sheikh, it could be your teacher, it could be someone that you interact with closely. So don't just think this is like, oh, my, like my best friend is not this. I guess this is it. You know? So uh, the gaze of his heart, again, when we're seeking companionship, the gaze of his heart should be diverted from creation. So when I'm seeking a teacher or I'm seeking a sheikh or I'm seeking a uh, a mentor, or I'm seeking someone who can assist me in this world. He says, choose the company of someone who inspires you, that company of someone whose entire attention is focused on Allah and Allah alone, and the gaze of this person's heart should be diverted from creation. The focus of this person is not on the worldly pursuits of this world and the transient happiness that comes from the, so- the, the so-called pleasures of this world, but rather it's on a deeper meaning, which is Allah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. There's people like this that exist in the world. In his lofty estimate, sorry, in every affair, his complete reliance, meaning the person whose companionship we're seeking, in every affair, his complete reliance should be on Allah. You know, it's interesting because when I um, interact with my sheikh, when you just inter- when I interact with him outwardly, when people interact with him outwardly, He's a very accomplished person from a dunyawi perspective. Very accomplished, mashallah. And sometimes when I approach him with some difficulty or some challenge or some question or advice that I need, I'll I'll bring it to his attention. And I'll expect, maybe because of my own ignorance, some sort of a worldly response. Just because he's so connected in the understanding of how this world works. And the amount of times out of the blue, I get the response of, Ultimately, it's in Allah's hands anyway. Um, ultimately, we're not in charge. Allah's in charge. It's this reminder that strikes my heart every single time that even someone who is so accomplished in the quote-unquote matters of this dunya can still remind me in times of need and in times of advice that ultimately I need to redirect my focus on Allah. It's very powerful. It's very powerful. So be able to meet and interact with people that are just constantly reminding you that Hold on a moment. This is from Allah. Now, there's some people that just say it as lip service, right? Oh, you know, whatever Allah wants. And that just becomes a way of them exclaiming their piety toward the community. There's some people who genuinely in their heart believe it. And when you interact with these people, you feel it. You feel it. Um, so anyways, he says, um, In every affair, his complete reliance should be on Allah. In his lofty estimate, creation should have no significance and no rank. 
right? The person of piety that we're trying to seek, creation should have no significance and no rank. Obedience to the sacred law, i.e. sharia, in all affairs should have become his natural disposition. This person should always be thinking, what does the sharia have to say in this regard? Right? Natural disposition, not like A, B, and C, and then fourth on the list comes, what does the sharia have to say? No, let's start with the sharia first, and that's my natural disposition. That's immediately what I go to first. His speech should guide toward the path of Allah. Such a person is qualified for this, this sort of companionship. A man who lack, lacks the aforementioned qualities is of no benefit. In fact, his company is harmful even if he overtly has the appearance of a saint. There are people who look like uh, a, million, uh, a million deeds, <laughs> not dollars. People who look like a million deeds, right? They may dress themselves a certain way. They may hold certain things in their hand. They may walk a certain way. They may carry a certain tone to their voice. They may give the appearance of a so-called saint, um, but there's no reality in their heart of a connection with Allah or a deeper connection with Allah. So he says, they may have the appearance of a saint, but since his heart's relationship is with alien objects, i.e. things besides Allah, his companionship is bound to exercise its influence. If I spend time interacting with the people who in, outwardly may look like a saint, may look like a wali, but deep within their heart, they're, they're completely attached to the dunya, expect that that attachment is going to, uh, is going to affect me as well. And is going to draw me toward the dunya as well. But on the flip side, if that person's heart is connected to Allah, even if outwardly they may appear to have some uh, semblance of dunya on them, right? Whether it be physically or through their uh, degrees or through their accomplishments, like the example I gave earlier. But if their heart is connected with Allah, I can expect that my heart will also be developing an affinity to Allah as a result as well. Um, those in his association will similarly be affected by his detrimental influence. So um, just let me repeat the, the phrase. Do not keep company with anyone whose state does not inspire you and whose speech does not lead you toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what the commentator is reminding us of is the company that we keep is essential. Uh, not only the circles that we have is probably the main driving force for what we become, but even the special company that we seek in terms of uh, our mashayikh and our teachers and things like that, um, I really have to have this sort of a relationship. Because if I don't have someone that I can interact with that inspires me and reminds me of Allah when I see him and, and talks about Allah when I interact with him and reminds me of the reality of the akhirah in lieu of this world, then what am I being inspired by? Who's there to influence me? Some celebrity on TV, some athlete, some politician, some whatever? I mean, everyone's calling to a bazillion different things. It's hard to tell right from, right from wrong. Uh, but someone whose heart is connected to Allah, if I take on this person's companionship and this person's suhbah, it's transformative. It, it alarms me to the reality of this world and the temporary nature of this world as it pertains to the, uh, the, the, the uh, timeless nature of the akhirah. So all of us should be seeking this. All, I'm speaking to myself first and foremost. All of us should be seeking this. All of us should think deeply about who it is that I go to to seek inspiration in deen. Yes, I can get a little bit from the masjid. Yes, I will get some from the Quran. But there has to be a living person that I go to and seek inspiration from. The Sahaba sought this in the Prophet ﷺ. The Tabi'een sought this in the Sahaba. And every subsequent generation until now sought this in, uh, in, in their own community and the people above them. 
this was a consistent practice. It has been since the time of the Prophet And this to this day is still a consistent practice. I have to find people of taqwa and piety and I have to attach myself to them. When I see them, they remind me of Allah. When I interact with them, all I can think about is Allah. And when I'm separated from them, I feel a sense of distance from Allah as a result of that separation. And when I find that person, that gem, I, t- I attach myself to them, recognizing that this is the avenue, this is an avenue that I have to inspire me toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this type of companionship. Wa